Well, hello, Peer family. It's so good to be with you here today. And I know it's been said already in our service, but I just want to take the opportunity to say Happy Mother's Day to everyone watching today. And especially, I get the chance to say Happy Mother's Day to my mom, as well as my mother-in-law, and to my wife, Randy. Uh, just, yeah, a heartfelt Happy Mother's Day to everyone. And also, just by way of announcements, in honor of Mother's Day, we are pressing pause on our evening service. We won't be having an evening service tonight. The idea is that way we can kind of, families can spend a bit more time together today. Use the opportunity to give your mom a call. Use the opportunity to spoil the women in your life. Um, I'm going to be using the opportunity to do that (laughs) as well. So just wanted to make you aware of that. And so now into our talk for today. I'm really excited about this. If you watched last week, you know that we are talking about um, the Holy Spirit and especially the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. We're in a new series, the second week in our series called The Gift, The Spirit and the Church. Last week, we looked at the church from kind of the big picture. We took a step back and looked at how the church is situated in terms of the context, the historical context, how the the church fits into God's big salvation narrative and God's big creation narrative. Um, And so we saw how the church fits into God's rescue mission, and it stands in a long line of what God has been doing um, in and through his people. Today, I want to take some time to look at a big question. And it's a question with, you know, many facets to it. So really, we're going to be kind of like thinking of it as beginning to answer it, I guess you could say, the safe way of saying it. But we're talking about the purpose of the church today. We're, we're asking, you know, what, what did God have in mind when he created the church? And before we do that, I want to ask you yourself, you know, when you think of that question, what comes to mind for you? And I'd be particularly interested to find out what people think who, who aren't part of the church. I'd be really interested to find out what your friends might say who aren't Christian or your family members, what they would say the purpose of the church is. We'd probably hear something like, well, you know, the church is a place where people go, where Christians go to, to gather. You know, it's a religious gathering. Or if we were kind of looking at some of the bigger churches in North America, we might get answers like, well, you know, the church is a place where kind of there's Christian rock concerts and motivational speeches about Christianity, that sort of thing. Or it might also be the attention might be on kind of the social aspect of the church, the social work of the church. So people might say the church is there to help people, to feed the hungry, to give shelter to those who are homeless, that sort of thing. I'd be really curious to hear the answers. And also, for those of you watching who have been a Christian for a while, I wonder how you would answer that question. Just a reminder, we're unpacking this series together in our peer groups. And so that's a a really good place. If you haven't joined a peer group, this is a good time to do so. But this will be a place for us to ask those sorts of questions. So I'm really curious to see what we hear. Well, to start investigating that question, a good place to go is the book of Acts. 
we've actually looked at the Gospel of Luke before, just before Easter. And then we talked about how Luke and Acts, they're meant to go together. They're written by the same author, and Acts is kind of part two to the Gospel of Luke. And the reason why it's a good idea to go there is because between those two, we really get the chronicle of the beginning of the church and kind of the spread of the early church. So what a great place to go to maybe find out what the purpose of the church is. And in particular, we're going to start from the beginning of Acts. Because there, Jesus brings together his apostles and he says this to them. This is actually post-resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead here and he gathers his apostles together. And here's what he says in Acts 1 verses um, 8 to 11. He starts out by saying to them, or sorry, they start out by asking him, Jesus, is, is this the time when God's going to restore the kingdom, restore his kingdom to Israel? Is God going to finally kind of do what he promised and bring his kingdom into its fullness? And Jesus says, well, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has set for that sort of thing. But what I can tell you is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the farthest parts of the earth. After he said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will go back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So this conversation here, there's a lot there that's going to help us. First, I wonder if you kind of caught the the different stages of God's plan here that are mentioned, right? Because this kind of ties into what we talked about last week, kind of where we're at in God's timeline. But they bring up Israel. They talk about, okay, Jesus, is this the time we're waiting for? We believe that you're the Messiah. So is this the new age when God's going to establish his kingdom? And as I said, you know, Jesus says, well, that part isn't yet (laughs) kind of thing. The, The kingdom isn't coming in its fullness yet. But in the meantime, the spirit is coming. We are at the threshold of that new age of the spirit. And in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. You're going to be empowered by the Spirit to be my witnesses. That's key for us. That right there is key for us for understanding the purpose of the church. But let's back up for a moment just to kind of appreciate what's happened here. Read through the Gospel of Luke and you find that Jesus has been gathering people together. People have been following Jesus. So he's kind of creating a people Um, around him, people that are his disciples. And in fact, if you kind of read between the lines in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is portrayed by Luke as kind of the second Moses, so to speak. Um, Moses 2.0, I guess you could say. And you know Moses, Moses, the story where he saves the Israelites and brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and so that they can be free and free to be the people of God. Well, Luke shows Jesus as kind of taking his people on a new exodus, taking them out of 
slavery and into salvation. So Jesus is forming a people of God. And, and from those people, from his disciples, he appoints 12, 12 apostles who are kind of like his inner circle and also kind of the leader, the leaders of, um, of the disciples, of his people. And that's an interesting parallel, right? The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. So it's to these 12 that Jesus shares this. These 12, Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the farthest parts of the earth. So if we take this to heart, we might say that the church was created and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus, to be a witness to Jesus until Jesus returns, until the kingdom comes in its fullness, until the end of the age of the Spirit, I guess, so to speak, or the age maybe of the church, we might call it. <clears throat> so if we read through now in, in Acts, kind of in just in, as an overview, we see that next the Spirit comes. Just as Jesus promised in Acts 2, the very next chapter, the Holy Spirit comes to the apostles and to Jesus' followers. And we read about it in Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they, so Jesus' group, <laughs> were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues, spreading out like a fire, appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Here we read about that promised Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus promised. And also, remember back to last week, this was foretold in the prophets long ago, the promised Spirit where God would be present with his people in this new and amazing way. The Spirit is here. They are now empowered to be witnesses to Jesus. And that's just what they do. They're now ready to kind of take Jesus, the, the witness of Jesus, to the surrounding people. It starts in Jerusalem, and it spreads out just as, as, Jesus, for, as Jesus said it would, actually. So from chapters 2 to 7, they stay in Jerusalem, and the church grows. And then in chapter 8, we read that they, the church kind of spreads out to Judea and Samaria. And that's interesting. It's because of persecution, actually. It says that persecution forced some of them to scatter. But in the scattering, the church spread, the church grew. And then you read more, and it kind of continues out into the Gentile world, into the non-Jewish world. And by the end of Acts, we read of Paul going to Rome. The church is reaching Rome by the end of Acts, which for them would be kind of the center of the non-Jewish world. All roads lead to Rome, you know that saying. So that's quite significant. So the church spreads, as Jesus said it would, empowered by the Spirit being witnesses to Jesus. So something of what they were doing, according to what Jesus asked them to do, it was working. It was successful. So what I want to do is get into a bit more detail now to find out 
what it means to be a witness then to Jesus. What the book of Acts is teaching us about what it means to carry out that purpose of witnessing to Jesus. And we're going to find that there's four main things that we read about in Acts. And let's take a look at those now. So the first one, I guess, would be kind of the obvious one when you think of being a witness, because there's definitely a lot of verbal communication that happens throughout the book of Acts. Uh, The first thing we see that happens at Pentecost is Peter gives this amazing speech explaining to those present who Jesus is. He's, He's kind of witnessing to Jesus verbally in that way, saying, Jesus is the Messiah, and if you turn to him, you can receive salvation. And there's many other amazing speeches that are given if you, if you follow it through. Acts 5.42 gives us a nice summary statement of this. It says that now those who, sorry, it says, And every day, both in the temple courts and from house to house, they did not stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Christ. And then as the church moves and spreads out from Jerusalem, the same continues. Acts 8.4, for instance. Now those who had been forced to scatter went around proclaiming the good news of the word. And we can't forget one of my favorite parts in the book of Acts when Paul speaks to the Athenians and gives this just amazing speech to the Athenians. Why is that my favorite? Well, you know that I'm a philosophy student and I love ancient Greek philosophy so there's that. I also, I've studied ancient um, history, Greek and Roman history. So words are, basically worlds are colliding here for me when Paul goes to Athens and talks to them there. And you know what? People respond to these messages. People respond to that, that form of witness. Um, we read in Acts 2.41, 3,000 people were added because they listened to the message And then in Acts 4.4, about 5,000 were added because they listened to the message. When they speak, people seem to be listening. So an important part of being a witness to Jesus involves communicating verbally the good news. um, Telling people about Jesus. Telling him that he's the Messiah. Telling him that salvation is found in him. But as an important side note to that... I would invite you to take a look at Paul's speech there and compare it to Peter's speech. Because what we learn here is that the communication is very context sensitive. So what I mean by that is the, they're willing to change up how they kind of communicate Jesus depending on their audience, depending on the context. So Paul's speech in Athens, it actually looks quite a lot different than Peter's. Paul actually doesn't even mention Jesus by name. He goes through a whole other way of communicating Jesus in a way that would hit home for them, that would kind of speak to them where they're at. So I love that. That's really important. Okay, so let's move from there now because here's the thing. It's not just verbal communication (laughs) that we see happening as the early church are witnessing to Jesus as they're carrying out their purpose. Luke provides us with three more things that are going on. The next one that we can't help but notice is that their verbal proclamation was accompanied by power. It was accompanied by what Luke calls signs and wonders or or miracles. Um, 
let's go through quick. You know, Peter's first address that we mentioned, I mean, he had to give that speech because people were wondering what was going on with all the the apostles in that. That was when the Spirit had just come in power. They were speaking all these different languages, and people were amazed. Some of them were like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Others were saying maybe they're drunk or something like that. What's going on? So Peter had to stand up and give this speech because of the powerful thing that just happened. And the same thing, the next time Peter has to give a big speech, it's because he just healed someone and it caused a big stir. And the same thing happens as the church spreads. We read about Philip in Samaria, for instance, in in Acts 8, 6. It says that the crowds were paying attention with one mind to what Philip said as they heard and saw the miraculous signs he was performing. So time and time again, almost every time, The speeches are attached to miracles. There's these signs and wonders that they're performing that are all pointing to Jesus. And that's the thing. This wasn't, they're very clear that this wasn't by their own powers and abilities. They always point to the fact that this is Jesus here. This is all pointing to Jesus, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, for instance, Peter says to someone that he heals named Aeneas, he says, Jesus the Christ heals you. It's not them themselves doing this, it's the Spirit doing them, or sorry, doing it for them and through them. So we could probably summarize this part then by saying because it's the Spirit, because it's it's for and because of Jesus, that God's powerful presence was with them as they spoke. The core idea would be, as Graham Twelfth Tree says, that God was so powerfully and obviously present that onlookers could not resist the message of the believers. So in other words, their verbal kind of proclamations were accompanied by these powerful signs that pointed to God's presence, that pointed to Jesus, showing that These weren't just everyday kind of human encounters going on. This just wasn't human abilities happening. God really was present. God's power was really at work in and through the church. But there's still more we can talk about. And this part, I think it starts to be even kind of personally some of my favorite aspects of what we read in Acts, because not only were these two things happening, the the, the verbal proclamation accompanied by signs and wonders, but the Spirit was also doing something amazing to the character of the early church. He was transforming them. He was transforming them into being this remarkable community. And we get some of my favorite passages here, Acts 2, that, that speak about this. Acts 2, 43 to 47 says, And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at, at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. I love the description there. And notice that daily they were getting together. These people liked to be together. And Acts 4, we read a similar description. I'll just read a little part of it. 
The whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. And so it turned out, skipping ahead slightly, and so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. These were a transform and a transforming people. The Holy Spirit was working in them to do these incredible things, to, to unite them, to create a spirit of generosity and compassion to the point where they were meeting each other's needs so that no one had need among them. The Holy Spirit was creating this celebratory, joyous attitude in them. And so when people looked at the, this community, they thought, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. These people, there's something going on there that, that can't really be explained um, by you know, natural means here. I mean, it's amazing what's going on. And you see, I like how the message translation puts it, right? They liked what they saw. People saw the beauty of the early church, and they wanted to know, okay, how can I be a part of that community? So that's another really important aspect to the witness to Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit was forming these people according to the heart and character of Jesus himself. So that when people looked at that community, they saw the love of Christ. They saw the character of Christ. That's key to being a witness to Jesus as well. Okay, there's one last one. These ones were kind of fun. This last one is the tough one, but it's also a key aspect. If we're talking about witnessing to Jesus, we can't also help but notice the perseverance that the Spirit brought about in, in Jesus' people through persecution, through trial, through suffering. It's not far along before we see controversy starting. We see that the religious leaders, they aren't happy with Peter and with what's going on. And it's not too much longer before we see the first martyr, Stephen. He's, he's killed for this, this new movement that's happening. And there's all these imprisonments that happen. And as you read along, when these signs and wonders happen, when these speeches happen, it's always mixed with, or sorry, always met with mixed responses. Some people are really interested. Other people get really angry. They want these people out of here. They want them gone. So there's also that aspect. Being a witness to Jesus also involves kind of that persecution and even suffering just as Jesus himself went through. So that's the four different elements that are really key to us understanding the purpose of the church, understanding what it means to be a witness to Jesus. And if we were going to try to tie these things together to start summarizing them, we can actually look for some clues in Acts and I'm not going to take credit for this. This is something where I learned from Graham Twelfth Tree. I've been reading his really good book called People of the Spirit. And there he points out how, if you notice, if you're going along, you'll notice that Luke refers to the Word of God quite a bit. The Word of God, it's, it's kind of always accompanying the spreading and growing of the church. And Graham Twelfth Tree draws our attention to this because this is a clue for us understanding what's happening with them being a witness. It's really central to what's going on with the purpose of the early church, the purpose of the church. So, I mean, if we read it through, you'll find that 
it's used in ways that we might expect. That it talks, Luke says that, you know, the word of God was spoken. The word of God was proclaimed and taught. Nothing really surprising there. And then people hear it and accept it. So there we can see how God was working through their words. God was communicating through their words to people, kind of hitting people in their hearts at the core of their being, helping them to understand who Jesus is kind of through their proclamation. But Luke also says peculiar things about the word of God. He, he talks about the word of God spreading, for instance. In Acts 6-7, the word of God continued to spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly, it says there. And also Luke says that the word of God kept increasing, for instance, and that the word of God was multiplying. So that's kind of peculiar, but as 12 Tree kind of shows, it really points to something important. Luke is likely picking up on the Old Testament ways of using that phrase, the word of God. A very important phrase that you see happening time and time again in the Old Testament. And, and he shows that it's actually used in a number of ways there. And that's, that's going to be key for, for our discussion right now. Because in the Old Testament, yes, it is used in terms of God communicating to people, God speaking. But it's also used to talk about God's presence. In Ezekiel, it's used for that. It's also used for the activity of God. Ezekiel uses it for that as well. And it's even used for God himself. In Zechariah and Zephaniah, it's used for that. And then we can't forget in John 1, that famous passage where Jesus is called the Word of God. So if we bring that all together, this points to the idea that the church is growing, as 12 Tree says, by the saving, powerful presence of God. The witness of God is the presence of God communicating through the church. So to be a witness then, if we're bringing this together and kind of summarizing all that we've seen, bringing in this word of God, to be a witness is to embody, display, and express the presence of Jesus. That's a mystery, I know. That is kind of hard to wrap the mind around. But this is the whole idea behind it being spirit-empowered here. This isn't something that we're just doing by our own strength. This is the spirit doing this. So the whole idea, as 12 Tree goes on to say, is that the, the church and the early church and the church now is a visible form of the activity as well as the character of God in Jesus. The mission of the church is the mission of Jesus, the, the continuation of the mission of Jesus. And overall, and to quote 12 Tree one more time, he says, in short, being a witness involves a total reenactment of the journey of Jesus, including his suffering in Jerusalem. It's like this. You know how verbal, or you know how communication is only around like 20% verbal, maybe a bit less even? And so there's that rest, that majority, the vast majority of communication happens in like nonverbal ways, you know, in kind of your, your body cues, your gestures, kind of your inflection, all your facial expression, all of that stuff. Well, I take it that it's kind of like that. God created the church so that 
the world can see Jesus and to see his salvation in concrete form, in community. Put it another way, God created the church and the Spirit empowers the church so that they can see Jesus in the flesh until he returns. And that's why David Diego says that we encounter Christ and his salvation concretely in the concrete church, which is being shaped and formed by Christ's love. I take it here that, that God knew that, that people need to be able to still see Christ, to interact with Christ, to, to be communicated to from Christ in, in tangible, concrete ways. And so that's why God created the church and the Spirit empowers the church to be a witness in that powerful, full sort of way. And that's why Leslie Newbegin, we can think of it also in terms of, you know, seeing the kingdom of God portrayed in the church. And he says that because the church is here and now, a real foretaste of heaven or the kingdom of heaven, she can be the witness and instrument of the kingdom of heaven. So it's like this. It's like the, the, the Spirit is using the church as one big message, saying, this is what restored humanity looks like. This is what the kingdom of God looks like when humans are in it. You know, this is a foretaste of the kingdom. This is what Jesus looks like. So the Holy Spirit is communicating then through the church through human languages and other means. That's kind of the big surprise, I guess, here. As I was kind of going through this and really kind of getting my thoughts together, to me, that's the big twist. That's the big plot twist. (laughs) We can read that thinking, oh, okay, so the church, that means we've got to kind of be a witness to Jesus. It's kind of through what we're going to do that we're going to try and point people to Jesus. But what we learn actually is that it's the Spirit (laughs) who's speaking through us in these mul- this multifaceted way, this concrete way, speaking through us, communicating Christ to people. Because Christ is present in us. We are Christ in the flesh, so to speak, in the here and now, until he returns. That's mind-blowing. It's maybe confusing. It's mysterious. But it's really powerful. And it's something that I pray that I catch hold of more and more, and that we all catch hold of. So, just to finish off with a a powerful quote from David Yago. I like to quote him a lot. Just some stuff that he says, I think, really hits home. He says this about um, the Spirit communicating through the church. The Holy Spirit, we may say, is the primary evangelist. And the primary testimony the Spirit utters is simply the presence in history of such a community as the church. In every aspect of its life, and in the overall corporate form of its life, the church is the Spirit's attempt to say something. I love that. The church is the Spirit's attempt to say something. To get something across, to make a point. Thus, there are no questions about the life and practice of the church that do not raise the question, what does this say? about Jesus Christ. The Spirit's communicating. The Spirit's saying something in and through the church. And that word is Jesus. Okay, we're going to leave off there. We're going to conclude now. And to just recap what we've been talking about, 
we've been asking just what is the purpose of the church? And, and we learn from Jesus that the purpose of the church is to be witnesses to him, witnesses to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about how the Spirit has made possible both verbal and nonverbal communication of the gospel, verbal and nonverbal witnessing to Jesus. There's been the part that's certainly verbal, like being able to communicate it in context-sensitive ways. Then there's also, though, the power that accompanies that message, the power of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit along with that message. And then there's also how the Spirit is transforming the community. That communicates as well that here's what it looks like to be people in the kingdom, people unified in Jesus, embodying and displaying his character. And then lastly, we saw that part of that communication is also going through trials, persecution, suffering with faithfulness and with courage. So, these are the key aspects of being witnesses to Jesus. And overall, we might say then that being a witness to Jesus means allowing the Spirit to reveal Jesus in us, knowing that, this, that Jesus is indeed present in the church through the Holy Spirit. So that's what the purpose of the church looks like. I, I know it's in broad and grand strokes but that gives us a lot to go from, I think, from today. And I want to ask, just to kind of hit home with this for myself, for all of us, how are we doing? When we think about these four aspects of being a witness to Jesus, how are we doing? What are we saying about Jesus? How are we communicating to people? And what kind of, you know, what are we relying on when we talk what are we relying on? Are we relying on the power of the Spirit? How are we doing in terms of the Spirit powerfully working while we're communicating? And you know what? Are we being transformed to look like what we read about in Acts 2 and Acts 4? Are we being transformed by the Spirit into unity? Or are we kind of going the way of disunity? Are we letting the Spirit transform us to be generous with one another, making sure that no one is in need in our, within the Big C church or within our local churches? How are we doing with that? And are we fostering that joy? Do we want to just want to be together? How are we doing in that area too? So overall then, you know, my question is like, what do people see when they see us? as a peer family. I invite us to kind of reflect on that and think about it. And also, what do people see when they look at the Big C Church? As I said, this week our peer groups are going to be talking about these very important questions, I think. We're going to be reflecting together. I can't wait to hear some of the conversations that come out of this. And it's my prayer that we could be open, that we could be honest about this, and that we would now turn to the Spirit and say, Spirit, please have your way in us. Let's see your power in us. We want to submit to you and so that you can do what you want to do in and through us. All right, let's pray together to close off. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus, dear Holy Spirit, we, we thank you so much for what we've heard today. 
Jesus, you say that we will be your witnesses, and this will happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love how it's that, that we will be. It's not like you're saying, like, you should do this, you better get hard at work. You're saying, no, the Spirit's going to make this happen. It's more this picture of us just, you know, doing what we can, our part, so to speak, to just be in the flow of the Spirit, to let the Spirit do the Spirit's thing. <laughs> and uh, I pray for us right now. I pray for myself, for us as a peer community. Please help us to, to learn what that looks like in the here and now. Show us, is there things that we need to change in order to be more in step, more in the flow of the Spirit and letting the Spirit's power happen? Is there things that we're doing right that we need to just build into, that we need to just keep focusing on? Please guide us as the peer family. And I also pray for the Big C Church right now because I know we can look at this and there's things that certainly we're coming up short in. And I pray for these areas, for the unity that we need the unity that maybe isn't always there. Please help us, Lord, as the Big C Church to be unified by the Spirit around you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be compassionate and generous with one another and help us to just have that spirit of joy in us. So I pray now, going into the week, that you would just kind of bless our times of reflection on this. And may this be a week that you really, Holy Spirit, you, you take hold and really just create newness and continue to transform us and do your will in our, in our midst. We hand it over to you, Jesus. We give it to you. We just look forward to what you are going to do. And I just pray for all of us in our community that we would just be, that you would keep us all safe and healthy. We just want to trust you in this time. So it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.